welcome to the At Peace Parents podcast. I'm Casey, and I'm here to empower you in your decision-making as a parent of a demand-avoidant child. My goal is to share insights that will generate aha moments and support your connection with your child. I'm a mom of two amazing little boys, one of whom is PDA, and I've worked with hundreds of parents just like you to teach them how to lead their child out of burnout and find the clarity, peace, and sense of community they need. I am not an advocate. Why do I say that sentence? Because my role I believe is distinct from advocates. And let me explain this to you because I feel quite strongly about it. And I think it's your right as a parent or a therapist or a teacher to understand more deeply and in a more nuanced way who I am and what my approach is and where I believe I can support people. So I'm going to talk about five things about my approach as an invitation to understand what I'm doing here with you guys. And so you can determine fit. Okay, so the first thing I want to say is that I don't identify as an advocate. And I want to tell you guys a story about this as it relates to my role and who I am. Okay, so before my son reached burnout, I actually worked for a very large nonprofit, well-known nonprofit in Washington, D.C., who did a lot of policy and advocacy work. However, it was premised on research. And my role within the organization was to help lead a team of methodologists, data scientists, coders, all of the things that you need to do to ensure research integrity and to support the policy teams and the advocates in ensuring that their research was evidence-based, unbiased, the facts were correct, and the data could be replicated. Okay, so my role was to work with advocates and challenge them right? To slow them down, to replicate data, to fact check, to ask them pointed questions. And this can be triggering sometimes. So for example, you know, there's a environmental conservation team and they're studying and then advocating on the impact of creating a conserved space in marine areas, right? And so they're coming to my team and saying, we want to do research to prove that if we create this marine conservation area, it will result in in why. My role was to say, actually, that's not research if you already know the outcome. And so what we need to do is develop a research question that we can examine with data, test hypotheses, and draw conclusions that are unbiased. And sometimes the response to me and my team would be, don't you care about environmental conservation? Of course I do. But that's not my role. My role is not to go onto the hill in Washington, D.C. and advocate for environmental conservation. My role is to ensure that the research with which they were advocating was unbiased and sound so that they could advocate effectively. Okay, so what does this have to do with PDA? What does this have to do with what we're doing here? I believe that my contribution is much more as a researcher than an advocate in the PDA space. What does that mean? I'm here to look at patterns, understand distributions, not just in children, but also in you, in order to move the needle forward so that you can find peace as a family. I sincerely believe that every time a family with all of you amazing people actually reaches stability, it opens up space 
for you parents to do the amazing things on this earth that you're meant to do, right? Like I've had many families I've worked with who have gone on to like think about starting a school, starting a nonprofit, all of these things in the PDA space or in other areas like environmental conservation or social justice or whatever it is, right? So I believe that the contribution I can make to shifting things is not through direct advocacy, but rather through understanding without bias PDA and parents who are raising PDA children in order to help them stabilize and perceive peace in their families. So the second thing that relates back to this is I don't have a strong or fixed identity around a neurotype. That's just not me. Okay, so I've explored this for a long time of like, you know, I used to think I was very neurotypical after a lot of trauma work and therapy and EMDR and SSP and somatics. I'm like, well, maybe I am neurodivergence. I certainly have hyperfixations. I have special interests. We're doing it now. <laughs> um, I've been diagnosed with OCD, severe anxiety. I'm on all the meds. I have sensory stuff. However, I don't identify as a particular neurotype. It's not who I am, right? But I think because I have that non-attachment to advocating for a particular neurotype, I can play a particularly reflective role with you as a parent as you necessarily explore your own identity and support your child in autonomously moving towards their identity. Because some PDA kids are gonna end up having a very strong identity around autism or PDA or ADHD. Others are like kids that whose parents I've worked with are gonna say, I'm just John. Like I don't want a neurotype identity. And all of this is premised on the idea of equality and autonomy. <laughs> right? Of like, there is no one way to do this. And there is no one way that your child will eventually identify. What's important is that they have a healthy self-concept and that they understand themselves. The third thing I want you guys to know is that I'm completely open to being wrong. And that has to do with my academic training of like always approaching things with a curiosity mindset. And let me give you an example. When I first started this journey, I completely made a huge 180 away from what I call the exposure paradigm, okay? Exposure meaning the way that we treat anxiety in order to move us through a sticky brain, right? So like a lot of times we identify PDA kids as highly anxious and so we approach them with exposure to the things that they're afraid of, to the things that they're avoiding. And for many PDA kids, depending on where they are in their burnout equilibrium cycle, this can actually produce a trauma response instead of moving them through sticky cognitive loops or rumination and can make the avoidance worse. And so my swing was from like, you know, exposure is okay because I've done it in my own therapies and it's worked for me to overcome a lot of anxiety all the way to like exposure never works for PDA kids. What does this have to do with being open to being wrong? As I've worked with hundreds of families and as my son has moved through burnout and to a more equilibrium space and I've watched my husband have a different role with my son, I've learned that sequentially there may be a space for some exposure. Right. Okay. So like through the last four years, 
the openness to being wrong, which takes like putting my ego on the back burner, <laughs> means that things may shift as we learn more, which is the foundation of any research or building a body of knowledge, right? If we don't have that curiosity mindset and openness to learning and evolving, then we're getting stuck in the like, this is how it is. And we're not open to expanding the body of knowledge on what we're trying to learn here. Okay. Number four, I will never prescribe an action as like a right or wrong thing to do. My role here is to provide you guys invitations, offerings, and encouragement to experiment. I feel very strongly about this because if I were to prescribe actions as right and wrong of like, you can never have screen time limits or you have to lower all demands or you shouldn't do X, Y, and Z therapy, then what am I doing? I'm replicating exactly the same paradigm of right and wrong and dogma that is pervasive in the behavioral space and that many of us have experienced as parents of like, you need to double down on this approach and if it's not working for your child or you as a parent, then actually you're doing it wrong. Instead of looking at it as let's experiment, let's collect data on ourselves and our children, let's be objective, and then let's tune in to the data in front of us and make decisions. And they might look different than another parent in the PDA space or how another parent's doing it. And that's totally fine. So let me give you a concrete example of this. So one of the 12 accommodations I teach is humor as a de-escalation technique. For many parents, when they experiment with this, it brings up trauma or a fawn response if they're trying to do self-deprecating humor with their kid, right? Where the child, you know, swears at them and they try and diffuse it through humor, but then they experience like a PTSD response from fawning in their childhood. I'm not going to tell them double down on humor, you're doing it wrong, right? We're going to tune into that data within our own bodies and make different decisions and get creative within the constraints. The same is true for observations of our children. Let me give you another example. We have the 12 accommodations and one part of communicating without words is getting physically lower than the child because it preempts that threat response from the perception of a lack of equality. So when I talk to my son, I often sit on the ground if he's on the couch or on the bed. Well, with another mother who had a more, a child similar age, internalized expression, she experimented with this and the child was like, why are you sitting on the ground? Why are you below me? And was like having his own reaction to it. So what did I say to her? I didn't say, well, you need to do it more and you're not doing it right or something's wrong with your child that it's not working because that would have replicated what we've all experienced in the pediatrician or therapist's office who's doubling down on a dogma. What I said is, okay, we have some data. We experimented. We have some data. Let's let's pivot. Let's try something else. Let's try a different accommodation. Okay. So, you know, it's hard to convey this level of nuance on Instagram because like tiles and reels don't afford this, but I need you guys to know this about me because I'm never going to tell you this is right and this is wrong. I'm here to guide you to make your own decisions and experiments so that you can learn your child. And then finally, I'm just going to share something from Buddhist psychology because, again, I don't have a strong or fixed identity. I'm not like, I am a Buddhist. However, I use Buddhist practices. From Buddhist psychology, the 25th principle is release opinions 
free yourself from views, be open to mystery. Okay, so this is kind of like the second thing I said of being open to being wrong. I feel very strongly that allowing for some uncertainty and not holding so fixed to my identity or views allows me to bring non-judgment and compassion to all the different types of people who end up in my world. So I wanted to share that with you because as the account grows, I want people to understand the approach that I have here. Thanks everyone for being here with me at the At Peace Parents podcast. This is your source for all things related to understanding, supporting, accommodating, and advocating for your PDA child. To go deeper on any of these topics, check out my course offerings and masterclasses at the website www.atpeaceparents.com. To completely transform the way you think about and relate to your child and to bring peace and stability to your home, join us for the next cohort of the Paradigm Shift program.